Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 184 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Eric Lombardi. Eric Lombardi has been working at the cutting edge of the zero waste and social enterprise movements across the world since the mid-90s. His working mission has been to transform the waste management industry into a resource management industry. Eric was a national spokesperson for the first zero waste organization in the USA in 1997 and was a co-founder of the Zero Waste International Alliance in 2002. Lombardi was invited to the Clinton White House in 1998 as one of the top 100 USA recyclers and received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Colorado Association for Recycling. From 1989 to 2014, he turned a small non-profit into the largest zero-waste social enterprise in the US, which is EcoCycle, and is now the president of Zero Waste Strategies, Inc., and the senior advisor to EcoCycle International. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss Eric's deep experience in resource conservation, social enterprise development, and nonprofit management. And we'll get Eric's thoughts on opportunities in resource recovery, recycling advice, and circular economies. So Eric, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tom. So Eric, to kick things off, could you please share a little bit about your background then and what led you down the path of social enterprise and a passion for zero waste societies? Sure. I I won't go too far back because I'm an older guy, but back (laughs) in the 1970s when I got my first car, uh, that's about the time that the Middle East did an oil embargo on America and I couldn't fill my first car up with gas. And I said, what's going on here? So that sort of opened me up politically to look around the world and go, oh, uh, geopolitics. I'm really in, uh, interested in this. Nice. Long story short, I, I went on to a graduate school and uh, got a degree in um, science, technology, and society where I was going to do solar energy in Africa. And all of that work was funded by a big oil company, Exxon. Wow. I got a full ride. So, um, you know, the world was paying attention in the 70s and 80s to some of these issues. And I just jumped in there. Uh, and I created a profession in what I call resource conservation. I worked in uh, alternative energy, I worked in water conservation, and then I got heavily into the recycling and the waste industry. And I I had a wonderful, wonderful 35-year run in all of those things. I I always say society society wastes resources the same, no matter what the resource is. Mm, Really good point. So tell us more about EcoCycle then, Eric, and and the impact that's being created each year, because you've turned this into a really large-scale social enterprise. Um, yeah, EcoCycle started in 1976. A friend of mine started a small nonprofit, and that's how recycling started here and in Australia and around the world. 
But we ran into trouble in the late 80s. Um, I was not there. I was somewhere else. And the, the board asked me to join them. And they were talking about dissolving the corporation. And I said, no, the 1990s are going to see a recycling revolution and your position beautifully. Uh, but I told them, I said, but we're going to run it like a business, not a nonprofit. And that was 1989, and no one had ever mm -hmm. heard the term social enterprise before. Yeah. Uh, and the board said, hey, you know, we're about to go down, so whatever you want to do, go for it. Uh, so that's what I did. I, I took it over, and I basically went out to the community, and I said, we will bring you good recycling services, but we need, need to make 10% on everything we do. And everybody came back to me and said, you know what? That's fair. You give us good service, you can have 10% profit. So that's how I built it. Uh, from 1989 to 1999, which was a real, real rock and roll decade for recycling. Um, and that's how we got so big. And about mid-90s, I realized recycling was just the beginning of this bigger thing called zero waste. And uh, EcoCycle then joined with a few others around the, the world, around the country. And we started this thing called the Zero Waste Movement about 1996-97. And a foundation funded us. And so we launched that in 96, 97, and everybody laughed at us for about 10 years. Uh, but then Zero Waste was embraced around 2008. That was the year that uh, National Public Radio had me on. I was yeah. in Smithsonian Magazine. I was on the cover of New York's Ma Newsweek Magazine. So uh, that, that was sort of the evolution. And, and EcoCycle, as a community organization, just kept bringing more and more services to the community, and they loved us for that. Yeah, brilliant. It's been a it's been a great thirty year journey. I mean, really, if you're talking back to to eighty nine, so that's amazing to see the longevity of this enterprise. So, from your experience, then, what do you believe are those fundamental ingredients for that long term success when running a project of similar size and and scale to yours, Eric? Well, it's funny because our social enterprise was a very big one, and it, it's it's unlike a small restaurant that creates jobs for hard to employ people. So what we need to do is we created recycling and recycling became successful and the for-profit world started to elbow in on us. And they said, hey, there's money to be made there. Yeah. And so we we could not, as a nonprofit mission-driven organization, we didn't have the financial resources to scale up. So what we had to do, and I give a lot of people this advice, we scaled up our vision. So we made sure our vision stayed one step ahead of the for-profit world. Mm. <laughs> and we got and we brought the community with us and we brought the local councils and governments with us and we just said, let's keep going. And that's how we went from recycling to zero waste. And the for-profit companies couldn't keep up with us. Um, and so, you know, we were an army of people with vision. And that's a hard thing to stop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what have been the greatest challenges then that you found in, in running EcoCycles? I know you've undoubtedly come up against a lot. And how have you then worked around them? You know, it's a boring but honest answer. Follow the money. Um, financial survival is so important because the more money you have, the more mission you can do. And yeah. if you run out of money and you go away – you don't have any vision. Um, so recycling revenues are crazy because the international market for recycling, right now the markets are in the dumps uh, and uh, sometimes they're really high. So once we were successful, you know, we talked with the community and we talked with our local government and said, look, we, we need to stabilize the ship here. So we created what I call a social enterprise contract with the local government where we shared risk 
and we shared reward. Mm. And it was almost, it was kind of a negotiated profit situation where um, they would put a financial floor under us in exchange for them sharing on the upside when the markets got good. And that relationship was transparent. It was workable. And that allowed us to stabilize in the bad times and grow in the good times. Mm. It was that issue, though, where I realized that um, nonprofit social enterprise has sort of a glass ceiling because at about 2004, uh, the governments thought recycling was successful and a, a done story. Foundations were no longer funding it. So I went to my private bank and the private bank wouldn't fund me. Mm. And I needed to build a compost facility next. I needed $6 million. And no one, I couldn't get it anywhere. And as a nonprofit, it, I couldn't get a private investor. That was against yeah. the nonprofit law. So that's when I discovered social enterprise in the United Kingdom and Scotland, where they operate social enterprises that are for profit. I call them a for profit nonprofit because a lot of the enterprises in the UK have the same limitations as nonprofits in America, meaning the assets are locked, yep. financial transparency, and all that stuff. But those organizations in the UK, which are called community interest companies, they're allowed to pay out a third of their profits to an investor each year. Mm. And so that's the key difference. That's what I needed to build my compost facility, and I was never never able to get. And so that really woke me up and said, I need to look into this for-profit social enterprise thing. And that's where I ran across the Social Enterprise World Forum, Jerry Higgins, the whole movement that's happening around the world and really not very much in the United States at this point. Yeah, wow. So what then do you think needs to be done to help accelerate this social enterprise and zero waste movement then to get mainstream society sort of on board and, and moving away from this linear economy to a circular economy? Because, I mean, certainly within Australia and I know within the UK as well, there is heightened awareness around the circular economy and in many ways it also feels like for some it is becoming a bit of a buzzword and certainly prone to a bit of social washing as well so so what are your thoughts here on how we can accelerate this movement very good question i, I really think that's the issue of the day because as social enterprise gets successful more and more people are co-opting the term they're, they're you know there was a big consultants report the other day that said by the year 2040 Everyone will be a social enterprise, and that's just not true. So number one, what we have to do is realize that a social enterprise is clearly defined by one thing, and that's, that's its genesis story. Why did this business get created? If it was created to, to address a social or environmental mission first and make money second, then it's a social enterprise. But if it's just a business that's doing good things and shaving off a little profit for society, that's not a social enterprise. Um, and so that's the first recognition we need to do is we have to grant true social enterprises that status, that they exist to fulfill a mission. The second thing we need to do is understand we can scale up our vision of what that mission is. So mm. many social enterprises are small, five, ten employees. I'm talking about redoing complete waste systems in communities, away from uh, waste management and into resource management, zero waste systems. That means multi-million dollar social enterprise, hundreds of employees, lots of equipment. Um, I'm also talking about solar, community solar systems that are owned by the community in partnership with a social enterprise. Uh, so public-private partnerships when you start getting to this kind of a scale. And to do that, the government needs to understand the risk-reward uh, formula that I 
discussed a minute ago. Yep. Uh, and government's really lousy at that because they're not very good at business. And so we have a big education challenge on our hands to help government understand what their supportive role is without getting in the way of the risk-reward business side that the social enterprise can do. So I think there's education for the government. There's visioning for the community that, indeed, mission-driven organizations can scale up big. They don't have to just be the small little thrift store at the end of the block. They can actually be much bigger. Uh, and uh, I think we can move forward with that combination. Mm, some great insights there, Eric. And I'm sure you'll be sharing some of those at this year's Social Enterprise World Forum, which will be held in Ethiopia in October. So what are you most looking forward to about the forum a little bit later this year? Well, I'm really excited because you have a, a country whose economy is really growing rapidly. Ethiopia is very young and youthful and hopeful, and they're excited, and they're seeing growth rates that are just unheard of in many parts of the world. So I think we're going to see a lot of new ideas, uh, you know, and they're not going to be grounded in um, the old Western economy ideas. I think we're going to see some real new ideas with men and women and youth in government. That's mm -hmm. what I'm hoping for. And uh, these people are just so bright and excited that you know I'm, I'm looking forward to being with them as, as they all come together and talk about the future. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it'll be great to see you over there, Eric. So yes. I'd love to hear a little bit about some other inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently that you believe are creating some excellent positive social change. You know, I can name a few. One of them um, is in Australia that I'm very excited about. Um, you have a social enterprise down there called Social Traders. Uh, and Social Traders is doing cutting-edge work that the rest of the world is watching. Mm. Uh, and that is the, in the area of government procurement. How is the government in Australia, the, the national government and the regional and local governments, how are they spending the tax money and are they getting the most bang for the buck by going with social enterprises? Yeah. And so Social Traders has come up with a, a simplified way to certify a true social enterprise um, and then work so that the government recognizes what they're good for and giving them preferential treatment in the contracting process. Mm. Uh, I think that's absolutely the future um, to grow our sector. So we're all watching the Social Traders right now. Uh, I think that Zero Waste Scotland um, is a unique organization because it is an organization that is quasi-public and quasi-private. It fits between the Scottish government and the private sector, the waste sector in Scotland. And it's, but it's full of professionals that the government trusts and the waste industry trusts. Mm. So this way, this entity, Ian Gullen and his crew, they can speak um, they can talk business with the business sector, and it's not BS. Everybody knows that it's real business. And they can talk government policy with the government, and the government trusts them. Mm. So I think the zero-waste Scotland model is something we all need to watch and learn from. Uh, I also like out of Sri Lanka, we've got an online platform called Good Market um, that Amanda Kessel is running. And she's going global with this platform mm. where we're going to be able to network with each other, not just our services and products, but our local um, networking and communications as we grow our local movements. Uh, and then finally, the one I've, I've just discovered is uh, a Greek island one called the Cyclades Preservation Fund. And they're looking at the islands, the Greek islands, and they're starting to come together and share information around social enterprise development, getting plastics out of the Mediterranean, you know, doing some good work that way. In fact, after Ethiopia, I'm going to be pulling through the Greek islands and doing a workshop 
on social enterprise and zero waste with the island group. Oh, so fantastic. There's a lot of great work going on around the world. Yeah, well, there's some great projects there, and I'll stick some links through to them at the bottom of your article, Eric. So to finish off then, inspiring books. What inspiring books or resources would you recommend to our listeners? Oh, wow. You know, I don't read a lot of books anymore. I did a lot in the 70s and 80s, especially grad school. And there's two classics that uh, the young younger people, entrepreneurs, I, I highly recommend. The one I always talk about first is a book by Paul Hawken called The Ecology of Commerce. Mm. And I remember Paul said back in the 90s, he said, we don't have to save the earth. <laughs> it's fine. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, we have to, we have to save you. Um, we have to save business yeah. because it's business that's killing the earth. And so uh, the ecology of commerce is important. Another book is called Small is Beautiful by mm. an economist Schumacher out of England. Yeah. Um, and that was one of my Bibles when I was younger. Uh, and then two resources I want to mention really quickly. I'm co-author on two reports that are still really powerful and they're free online. The first one is called The Community Zero Waste Roadmap, and it's a booklet that I wrote, and it's about 43 pages long. And you can go ecocycle.org, um, and you can find that uh, document. And the other one is called Stop Trashing the Climate, mm-hmm. and it is the, still the best report on the link between climate change and zero waste issues. Uh, and you can find that on the Institute for Local Self-Reliance website. Wonderful. Well, they sound like some some great reads there, Eric. So once again, I'll stick some links through so people can click on through and, and have a good read. So Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today and, and learn a little bit more about your work. And we'll certainly look forward to, to following the eco cycle and your journey further down the track and see you in, in Ethiopia in, in a month. Thanks so much for having me on, Tom, and I look forward to seeing you in Addis Ababa soon. Great. See you then. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people, and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below, and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page, and Twitter. Thank you.